The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Everybody doing good? Hey, don't these guys do an unbelievable job of leading us, man? I Honestly, I don't... I don't know who sounds better, you guys or the band, man. It's just awesome every single Sunday morning. We got some really cool news. We're going to um, tell you guys here maybe in a few weeks, but uh, God's doing a really, really cool work. Hey, welcome. We're glad you're here. If this is your first time in church, we're honored that you spent a little bit of time with us this morning. If you've been in church a hundred times, we're glad that you're here too, and we hope that this is a place where everybody can have a great experience and feel like home. We're in a series called The Storytelling God. If you have a Bible this morning, you can go ahead and open it up to Matthew chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We'd love to give you one after the service, and we'll also have the scripture on screen today. The Storytelling God series, we're, I think, in week seven. Next week is our last week. Uh, We're working our way through the stories that Jesus told, and we want to see the truths that Jesus unveiled about life, about humanity, and about the future, and we're going to do that today. I want to preach a message today titled, The Unstoppable Kingdom. The unstoppable kingdom. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for today. God, you are so good to us. Father, I just, as, as we sang good, good father, I, I, it just feels like that is the anthem of our church, Lord. God, for the, the very fledgling beginnings of Story City Church, I feel like you have been so good to us, Lord. Not just as a church corporately, but to us individually. And because of that, we praise you, we honor you, we give glory to you, and we surrender and submit ourselves to you and your lordship and your leadership in our lives. God, this day has never happened before. And this day will never happen again. And so, God, I pray that we would take advantage of the few remaining hours that we have today and in the next few minutes as we open up the scripture. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody in the Colony Theater set. Amen. Amen. Hey, do you guys uh, get those network marketing ads on your social media page? Anybody get those network marketing ads? Anybody get a few? You know what I'm talking about? They used to be the late night infomercials. Remember those? The late night infomercials. It was a 30 minute spread. They would tell you, hey, I had nothing. Now I've got a lot. And if you just pay me, I'll tell you how to get a lot too, right? Now they're on your social media page. And uh, so not a long time ago, a while back, I was uh, thumbing through Facebook and this network marketing ad showed up on my Facebook feed. It was a video of a guy who at one time said he was homeless, had like $14 in his bank account. He was borrowing underwear from his friend, living on his friend's couch. And now I'm watching this video on Facebook and he's filming from this house in Beverly Hills. And he's showing us his cars, his Lambo, his Maybach, his Rolls, his Koi Pond and his foyer, his pool house out back, the view of the downtown Los Angeles. And at this point, like I'm sucked in, right? Like not because I care about anything he says, but like I'm intrigued by his story, right? Like he went from borrowing drawers from a friend to living in Beverly Hills. This is like the modern day Beverly Hillbilly story. It was amazing. And so then I find myself clicked over to his website and I'm watching every video on his website, like an hour's worth of videos. And I'm just, I'm doubting, I'm intrigued that this guy could go from like homeless, no money in his pocket to like the Beverly Hillbillies. It was amazing. And so after about an hour that I could never get back of my life, <laughs> I, uh, I, I kind of had this same thought that you guys probably have whenever you watch those network marketing ads too, right? Like, like my thought was like, 
this could never happen. This could never happen. Like, how does a guy go from nothing to something, right? Like, we understand. If you've lived just a minute, you understand, like, this idea of explosive growth. Um, you understand there's always the exception. It's never the rule, right? Like, that's why all of these ads always have the, the um, italics in small font uh, disclaimer, past results are not indicative of future performance, right? In other words, if this don't work out, please don't sue me, right? And so we understand this idea. Like, like if, if, uh, if something goes from nothing to something of significance, we know that it's like, it's, it's the exception. It's the outlier. It's never the rule. And so in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells this story, and he sort of sounds like a network marketer. He sort of sounds like a network marketer. Does it sound dull in here? I'm sorry, I apologize. It sounds dull up here. Um, it, Jesus sounds like a network marketer in Matthew chapter 13, and he's telling this story. At least we would think it's like a network marketing pitch because, because, uh, because of how we typically respond when Jesus says something like this. But Jesus, unlike the network marketer, he, he doesn't give you a disclaimer. He doesn't say past performance may not indicate future results. Jesus actually guarantees what he is promising here and therefore um, distinguishes himself from any of the network marketing ads that you'll ever see. And Jesus has this promise that the gospel, the kingdom of God, even though, and he's teaching this before he ever goes to the cross, he's saying, even though it seems like this fledgling, this fledgling little, 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 little religious movement, at some point, this thing is going to explode. So if you, have, if you have a Bible this morning, read with me in Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 31. And so Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and he planted in his field. Verse 32 Though it's the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and they perch in its branches. Verse 33, he told them still another parable. So he's got two stories he's got here. And the second story that he tells in verse 33 is, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and she mixed it into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. And then in verse 34, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowds in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables and I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. And so like all of the parables that Jesus tells, this parable is not hard. You don't have to dig deep. Like, you know, you don't have to dig deep to try to figure out what Jesus is trying to say. And the essence of his message in four short verses here is that the kingdom of God is unstoppable. The kingdom of God is unstoppable. And so Jesus is telling two parables here. He uses this idea of a mustard seed, and he gives us this idea that something really small and seemingly insignificant and tiny that grows up in unfavorable conditions can actually become something enormous and influential and significant. And then Jesus tells a story about the yeast and a small amount of yeast that's mixed in with, with this larger amount of dough 
And he gives us the idea, he points us to the reality that when Jesus entered into the world, he introduced this idea, this change element that would work itself all the way through culture and society and the world until at one time in history, it would be worked entirely through. And so we start with the mustard seed. And actually, if you, if you understand um, planting and gardening, you know that the mustard seed is not actually the tiniest seed. Um, it's one of the tiniest seeds. But in first century here, in the first century here, the Jews would have recognized this as a very small seed. It probably would have been the seed that they would have planted in their backyard. But that's the point. It's small. And so a mustard seed, um, even to this day, it hasn't changed very much, but a mustard seed really typically will never ever get over the height of four to five feet. Occasionally, a mustard seed will grow to like a large bush. It'll grow to like a very small tree. And that's what Jesus is pointing to here. Something very small, it grew to something of significance. And so Jesus is pointing us to the reality here of the incredible growth of the kingdom of God. And, and it's all out of proportion to its original size and the beginning of the Jesus movement, right? And so Jesus said that the gospel could not be stopped. Now just think about how the, the, the gospel originally began. I mean, think about how the gospel originally spread. You have here in Matthew chapter 13 sort of the midpoint of Jesus' ministry, and at the midpoint of Jesus' ministry, all these crowds are following Jesus, and they're all hanging on every single word that Jesus is sharing. And it looks, by all appearances, that things are going really, really well. A couple years into this movement, like people are gathering, people are getting healed, people are coming from miles around, they hear everything Jesus says. And then, all of a sudden, <laughs> things begin to change. And now there's hostility to the message that Jesus is teaching. And there's opposition to the message that Jesus is sharing. And so this thing that the disciples are teaching and growing and spreading, now all of a sudden is facing extraordinary resistance until we arrive at the point that the leader of the movement has lost his life. And 24 hours before he loses his life, the guy that he pins the hopes of the church on, this movement that he's beginning, the guy whom he said, on your back, on your shoulder, under your leadership, the church will grow and it will prevail and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And in the last 24 hours of the leader of this movement's life, the man whom Jesus looked to and said, when I'm gone, you're gonna carry this. 24 hours before Jesus dies, Peter denies even knowing Jesus. Doesn't sound like the, the roots of a revolution, right? It doesn't sound like the beginning of something extraordinary here. And here's why. The conditions don't seem right for an incredible, dramatic result to bloom. And here's why. Because the kingdom of God is unstoppable, even in unfavorable conditions. The kingdom of God is unstoppable even in unfavorable conditions. So this is what the disciples thought. Jesus is about to go. They've got this picture of how this thing that they're teaching and growing and propagating. They have this idea about how it's going to spread. And their idea is that it's going to spread through war and through conquering power. Remember Peter in the garden before Jesus is arrested? Peter draws his sword and he lops off the ear of a soldier. And Jesus, remember what he did? He rebuked Peter. <laughs> and so Jesus says, I rebuke your thinking about how this thing is going to spread. 
And I think Jesus also rebukes our thinking oftentimes. It doesn't often spread the way we think it's gonna spread either. Like, here's this idea. Like, if you had a plan to take over the world, like world dominion, like, like we're gonna take the world over, Christianity would probably not be the strategy for it, right? Think about what Christianity asks of us. Humble yourself. Take second place. Think of others before you think of yourselves. Um, surrender yourself and your possessions to each other. And so that's, that's, in, that's the beauty of the gospel because in every other man-made religion, every other man-made religion ascribes to these ideas that we think could naturally lead to power, self-reliance, self-determination, self-righteousness. Christianity says, though, you can't do it. And God says, but I will. But I will. So this thing that many of us in this room are following. This thing that 2,000 years later, the disciples have propagated and spread and shared and that many of this room have ascribed to and given our life to. It's important to understand what, what it's not. It's, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not your favorite TV show where the TV audience stands up and is like, I'm rich, I'm wealthy, I'm healthy. Like if that's your philosophy of life, you, you, you need another chant. Like, like I'm brainwashed because that's not what Jesus said right here. The beauty of the gospel is that you don't have to be great in order to harness its power. You don't have to be great in order to harness its power. Actually, it helps if you really aren't great. It helps if, if, if you're not a superstar because that was never Jesus' focus. And the kingdom is unstoppable even in unfavorable conditions. If you just think about the people that Jesus surrounded himself with. Like, like this leader of this movement, this fledgling religious movement, he puts this movement into the hands of teenagers who were formerly fishing. He puts it into the hands of teenagers with no leadership experience. He puts it into the hands of young adults who have never led anybody. That's an unfavorable condition. But I remind you this morning that unfavorable conditions have often been the incubator where great things grow, right? Like, like something that seemingly was, well, had, had no potential because the, the environment was not conducive to it. All of a sudden, it exploded. I'm not talking about, by the way, don't confuse this this morning. I'm not talking about the church having political power. I'm not talking about the church taking over the world. I'm talking about the spread of life change by the spirit of the living God in individual lives all throughout the world. And it just seems like in unfavorable conditions is where God works the best, right? 1955. African-American lady on the day that the Supreme Court banned segregation on a bus. A lady by the name of Rosa Parks sat on the fifth row of the bus. It was rightly the row that she was supposed to be on according to the law of the day. She was asked to move along with three other people. Three other African-Americans moved to the back of the bus. She refused. She was coming home from her department store job, tired, frustrated, and she said, no. Unfavorable conditions. You know what spread? You know what was ignited? The civil rights movement. 
Mikhail Gorbachev, uh, I hesitated even <laughs> bringing this guy out, but in the 80s when, when anti-American Russia would have rather nuked America than see America flourish, Mikhail Gorbachev was charged with leading his country. And Gorbachev, in spite of anti-American sentiment, leads this movement whereby in 1990 the Iron Curtain falls, unfavorable conditions. 2066 Christ Drive, Los Altos, California. Do you know what this is? Don't tell your neighbor. Raise your hand if you know what this is. You know what this is? It's now an historic landmark. Actually, um, in this picture, uh, I guess it's trash day here. Um, <laughs> actually, what's historic about this address is not actually the house. It's actually the garage that's historic. You know why? And that's where Steve Jobs began Apple Computer. Unfavorable conditions. You know what else was born in a garage, by the way? Disney, <laughs> Microsoft, Tom Harley Davidson was born out of a garage. Unfavorable conditions. It seems to be the environment where God works. Small, unfavorable, tiny, fat chance, million to one, slim to none, and slim just left town. That's the environment that God works. Think about the church over the last 2,000 years. Think about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, by the way, if this idea, this terminology is foreign to you, we don't just mean the church. What we mean is that everything that you see around you and that you don't see, everything on this earth belongs to God. He has the power and the authority to affect change, to move things, to step in, to step out. It's all under his control, and we call it the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has a future present reality. We are, in a future time, we will step into a kingdom where God fully reigns everything, but there's a present reality now where evil also reigns, and God also reigns, and there will be a day when we step into the reality where it's all under God's control, and there is no one who opposes him. But think about the last 2,000 years, the unfavorable conditions in which the kingdom of God has expanded and the kingdom of God has grown. Think about this. In the 20th century in China, I don't know if you know the history here, under Chairman General Mao, the, the greatest mass murderer in human history, murdered almost twice as many as Joseph Stalin in Russia, as Hitler in Germany. Even in 20th century China, the church grew exponentially. In 2014, there was an article in a British newspaper um, called The Telegraph, and the article was headlined with these words, China is on course to become the world's most Christian nation within 15 years. Unfavorable conditions. Sub-Saharan Africa. Third world. Sub-Saharan Africa. That's, uh, the statistics. The statistics. Statistics. Tell us that in sub-Saharan Africa, there are 60 times the number of believers that there were 100 years ago. The largest growth in the church history in 2,000 years, and they've all happened within the last 100 years in Africa. Globally, the church is expanding 2.2 billion people, 32% of the world's population, and that number is growing. But here's the deal. The reason why it's hard for us to comprehend is because in America, the number is not growing, and we equate what happens here as to what's happening around the world, and it's just not true. The gospel is always advancing. It's 
never receding. And that's Jesus' promise. And Jesus never fails to keep his promises. I've been on the streets and in churches and in schools in South America and Central America and in Ireland. Students that I formerly led this week will be in Los Angeles. They will be in Ireland. They will be in Ghana. And they will be sharing the gospel and people will come to faith in Jesus. That does not mean that at some point in time, at certain places and in certain eras, that does not mean that Christianity may have less of an influence than it did at another point in time. But Jesus is saying, even though the church may be a smaller percentage than it was years ago, my promise to you that even though there are unfavorable conditions in our culture, in our jobs, in our homes, my promise is that the church will not go away. The gospel will always prevail and it will always succeed and it will always increase and it has done so since Jesus left the earth and it will continue to do so and his promise is true not just in this church but it's true in your job and in your home and in your neighborhood unfavorable conditions. (laughs) I want you to look around you just for a minute, okay? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not overlaying Jesus's promise on Story City Church this morning because we don't know where Jesus is going to work. We don't know where Jesus is going to place his hand, but it just appears like Jesus has and is doing something. Nine out of 10 church plants never make it. It's more risky than um, plant and than starting a restaurant, I want you to look around you this morning. Can you, I just, look around you. God's doing something and we don't know where he's gonna work and we know the conditions are unfavorable. I hear it all the time. Um, Christians in our city and I fully understand it and I sympathize with you and I have compassion with you. At my work, I have to be an underground Christian. I'm an undercover Christian at my church, at my work, at my um, school, at my neighborhood because if people find out what I believe, then it could be detrimental to what I do. <laughs> Do you know that the kingdom of God is also unstoppable in spite of you? (laughs) The kingdom of God is unstoppable in spite of you. Um, You don't have to look around, but I just need to tell you this morning that your neighbors are coming to our church. (laughs) Your neighbors are coming to our church in spite of you. Your neighbors are here because God is doing something. Now, here's the thing. Um, in leadership scenarios, I, I'm okay with being disappointed. I just don't like to be surprised. Disappointment is a part of the human experience. I just don't like to be sideswiped with something I did not know was coming, right? So if in your neighborhood today, um, your neighbor knew that you were a believer and knew that you were a Christian, and at some point in time, you occasionally did not live as a Christian, they would probably be disappointed in you, and rightfully so, and that's just naturally a part of the human experience. However, if your neighbor came to faith in Christ this week and showed up here next week, and they saw you and had no idea you were a believer, or that you came to this church, would they be surprised? The kingdom of God is unstoppable in spite of us. But here's the, beauty of, 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 here's the beauty of this process. Jesus says, I'm gonna grow, my, my, I'm, I, I have full reign over this entire thing. 
And it's going to continue to expand. It's never going to recede. It may, seem, it may seem like it's receding in your city and in your country. But the gospel is, is advancing around the world. And even in pockets in our cities and in America, the gospel is advancing rapidly. And throughout the course of history, God has sprung up revival and awakening in cities just like Los Angeles. I'm telling you, there's some people in this auditorium this morning who came to faith in Christ because God brought about a revival and an awakening in Southern California, in Orange County, starting at Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa. 3,000 college students came to faith in Christ in the 70s because of what God did. And in spite of us, he's going to continue to do it. But here's the beauty of it. God doesn't just say, nana, nana, boo, boo, you missed out. <laughs> like, sorry, like uh, FOMO, like, sorry, you missed out. No, what Jesus says is, why don't you come? Why don't you be a part why don't you participate? Because I'm going to do it whether you jump on board or not, but I guarantee you joy I guarantee you that not only, and by the way, don't confuse what we talk about here when we talk about growth. I'm not just talking about a church going from zero to 500 people. I'm talking about growth in your personal heart, in your personal life, in your personal heart. When Jesus is talking about something going from nothing to a lot, that, that, that's my story. That's your story personally. Some of you, I know your stories I mean, that, that's a rebellious teenager who wanted nothing to do with Jesus, who showed up intoxicated at the church Christmas play, and he was playing Jesus to today. He's now pastoring a church in Los Angeles. That's my story, because the gospel took root in a tiny, unfavorable circumstance and scenario, yet God is doing something different, and he can do it in your life too, in spite of you, in spite of your desire. But he says, come, participate, be a part, because the kingdom of God is always advancing. It's never receding. Listen to what Martin Luther, not Martin not Martin Luther King, Martin Luther the Reformer, which all Protestants around the world owe a debt of gratitude. This is what Martin Luther said 500 years ago when he broke from the Catholic Church and he began a movement that all of us are indebted to today. All I have done is to put forth, preach, and write the word of God. And apart from this, I have done nothing. While I have been sleeping or drinking Wittenberg beer with my friend Philip and Amsdorf, it is the word that has done great things. I have done nothing. The word has done and achieved everything. Ray Ortland said in Acts, they preached and all came down. You can't put that in the worship order, right? 10 a.m., all comes down. In spite of us, God is going to move. How? Well, when seed is scattered, it grows. Why does seed grow? Not because I, the sower, desired for it to grow, because the earth produces it. So how does seed grow in your life personally, in the church globally? Well, it grows when we scatter the seed and the rest is up to God. <laughs> And he determines what he wants to do with it. I read this yesterday. Somebody may be able to preach a better sermon than you, a better God. Sorry. Somebody may be able to preach the gospel better than you, but they can't preach a better gospel. It's the same for you in your neighborhood. Somebody may be able to tell your neighbors the gospel better than you, but they can never tell a better gospel. So just tell it. Just live it. 
Because regardless of whether you engage or you don't, and this is the natural tendency, the pendulum that swings in every believer's life. We swing from, I'm just not going to be engaged, to, to I don't feel like I can get engaged until I'm fully equipped. If you can articulate the gospel and you know what God's done in your life, you have the launch codes. You have your finger on the button that can disperse life change into people's lives. Last month, I had the privilege of meeting David King. He was the launch director for NASA for 135 missions, including the Challenger that exploded. 135 missions, more than one time, David said... um, when we were under, when we were in the countdown, under 10 seconds, more than one time, I stopped the launch of the rocket. If you're a believer this morning and you know how to articulate the gospel, you have the launch code and your finger can be on the button to demonstrate life change. Why? All you do is scatter seeds. Will God do something with it? It's up to him. We have no idea, but that is his promise. In spite of our shortcomings and decisions to opt in or to opt out, the kingdom of God advances. And then finally, and I'm done. The kingdom of God is unstoppable, not only because um, in, in unfavorable conditions, the kingdom of God is unstoppable in spite of us, but the kingdom of God is unstoppable because it grows exponentially. Colossians chapter 1 verse 6 says, the gospel has come to you in the same way, bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Um, I don't know if you invest in the stock market, but if you invested in Berkshire Hathaway, which is owned by Warren Buffett, 98% of his wealth is invested into this one stock. If you invested in 1965 with $1,000, which was about $8,000 today, that investment would be worth $13 million and having done absolutely nothing to it exponential growth. Yes, but the stock market could go up and down. Yes, but the stock market could decline. Yes, but there are no guarantees. It's going to crash at some point. Pastor Matt, I don't have much to give. What could my tiny investment make? Look at me real quick and then I'm done. The church is a prevailing investment. (laughs) The church is a prevailing investment. You are on a winning team. Have you ever had this thought, like, 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 I'm just a part of a small, tiny, insignificant minority in my city? Well, maybe, maybe this one church body. And you may think, this small, tiny, insignificant minority, what, what, what good could we possibly do in our city? Well, we don't know what God wants to do, but God has promised that my gospel will always advance, it will never recede. And he invites you to be part of that process. Do you know this Saturday? This Saturday. I don't know. I don't know what the exact number is because it literally changes every 10 minutes. This morning I woke up. It was like 1,050. Right before I came up, it was like 1,136 kids are already registered, not including their parents, for an Easter egg event this coming Saturday in Burbank. Do you know how many events in Burbank are going to have 1,000 people this year? Less than five. Can we have a significant influence on our city? But do not confuse this. I'm not talking about political power. I'm not talking about going to city hall and doing anything we want to do because we carry the power in our city that has nothing to do with the gospel. It has everything to do with people's lives being transformed and changed by the word of God and the spirit of the living God working in their life. And that's the power we're talking about.
That's the advancement of the gospel that we are talking about. You're not a minority. You're a guaranteed winner. And God has not promised just to preserve his church. (laughs) He's promised far more. He has and he will take what seems small and insignificant and create something good and beautiful in our city. Will you pray that God would show you what that might look like in your life, in your little niche, in your little grand scheme of things? Jesus could say, sorry, you missed out. (laughs) But if there's breath in your lungs today, there's another opportunity. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you for your promises. God, we are awful at keeping promises. We are not good at following through. Jesus, this morning I'm reminded that you never fail your promises. You'll always make good. And Jesus, I thank you that you are advancing the gospel in our city for no glory of our own, the glory of God to shine over our city, to heal marriages, to restore broken lives. Jesus, so people's eyes will be pointed to you and focused solely on the glory of God. Not a church, not a person, not a pastor, not a movement, but you alone, Jesus. That's what we desire. God, I pray for people in this room, Lord, who are wrestling through that. God, maybe have been sitting on the sideline. The pendulum swings back and forth. I'm not going to engage. I can't engage because I'm not ready. God, would you just shift it to the middle and force them into the mission of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing.